Hey everybody, Andy Kennedy with Andy Kennedy Co. here again with Mary, our magician. Yay. Um, if you watched our last episode of our either or listened to our podcast uh, or our YouTube channel, um, we interviewed, I interviewed Miss Mary um, about a few things. Uh, we were talking mostly about Mercury retrograde, but also about her life and her journey uh, working with Andy Kennedy Co. and the stuff that we do and the classes and what she has learned over the last almost two years. I was thinking about this in the shower as well, Mary, this morning of like, oh my gosh, at some point we're going to be able to say we've worked together for two years and that's really, really magical and special. And I'm just so yeah. grateful for you. Um, and today we're going to flip the roles and Mary is going to be interviewing me, um, which we kind of thought about after our last session. So uh, for w- one, for my listeners to learn a little bit more about me and then also to launch Mary into her own, her very own podcast. So yay for that. This will be the first episode of that as well. So whether you're on uh, Andy Kennedy Co. Um, or Mary's, tell me what the name of it is again. I know it's such an awesome name. Not so good at small talk. That's right. Not so, I was like, I know it's the small talk. Not so on Mary's not so good at small talk podcast. Um, follow us, subscribe, whatever, even cross market. Let's like, let's, you know, trade up and go follow us on the other one if you're not there. So let, without further ado, Mary, let's just go ahead and get rolling so we can get it all in. Cause I know that I'm going to derail us I'm sure at some point during your course this is gonna be a story all right I am so excited and this is a very interesting one and I can't wait for everyone else to to know about the journey that um the journey that is you so uh I I do have um a couple of pointers here but um I'm just let's just start with uh your childhood you know what was it like growing up and because like to me right now, you're such a free and eccentric person. But what was childhood like for Andy? <laughs> OK, free and eccentric. Well, thank you for that. Um, I am. I'll just preface this with saying that I'm 49 years old this year and I don't feel 49. I definitely still feel like I'm in my 30s. Uh physically I actually feel better at 49 than I did in, in my earlier years, just because of taking care of my health and adding whole food concentrates and functional food and all of that. And so if, uh, if that's something that interests you, uh, reach out because we can, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but growing up, I grew up in Washington, DC. Um, and my mother would say that I wasn't sickly. I wasn't a sick kid. Um, but I definitely remember being sick a lot. I remember, um, you know, colds and flus and strep throats and ear infections and all of those things that, um, you know, kids shouldn't struggle with. And I know now with the work that we do in health that kids don't struggle with when, when they've got uh, something to bridge the gap in their nutrient deficiency. Um, but I grew up in, in a, in a suburbia, you know, Northern Virginia on a lake, only child, um, uh, my parents, uh, the older I got, my, the more my parents' income kind of caught up with their lifestyle. Um, my mother was worked in advertising and my father, uh, worked as an economist for the government, uh, for the, for the military, actually, at, the, at a, a think tank for, uh, the defense department as an economist. 
Um, and they grew up in Chicago. So they moved away from family. We didn't have a lot of family. Um, and I was always sort of struggling as an only child to find my best friend because I feel like I cycled through a lot of best friends. I didn't have anyone in the house to like fight with or play with or, you know, as an only child. So I, I entertained myself quite a bit. I, I was a free spirit back then, um, probably a little obstinate. I'm sure my parents would say stubborn and um, very independent, um, but introverted. And um, even though, you know, I could kind of be an ambivert, I could definitely, you know, get outside the box and play and, and get, you know, get comfortable in a crowd. Um, I wasn't shy, really. Um, I was around more adults. My parents didn't, my parents' friends didn't have kids. My, my nieces or my aunts and uncles didn't have kids. So I think for the first maybe six or seven years of my life, there weren't a lot of children. So I was around a lot of adults. Um, some of which liked to throw parties. Um, and so I was around a lot of, I was around a lot of adult parties. Uh, there's some really interesting stories of uh, around like for one, me, maybe three or four years old going around and taking a sip out of everybody's margarita and then tumbling down the stairs drunk. Wow. Um, so <laughs> yeah. So, but the one thing that I wanted to bring up in this section was to tell you about my imaginary friends. So I spoke to my imaginary friends a lot and um, there's a cool connection uh, they, you know, I, I had names for them. I would talk to them. I remember a vivid memory of sitting on the stairs in timeout, looking down into the basement that I was very afraid of and calling in my, my imaginary friends to sit there with me and just chatter and keep me safe. And, you know, I'm sure I was crying because I was in trouble. Um, but I vividly remember like hugs from these imaginary friends right and we know that they're they were my spirit team and my spirit guides and my guardians and my angels and you know all of that um but one of them in particular and for those of you that are new to to spirit guides is going to sound really far-fetched but one of them in particular I called Sawawiwa you know I'm three years old and my parents are thinking this is just you know nonsense I had flip-flop and I had uh jogger and I had you know like all of these weird names and but Sawawiwa is the most you know, at like, three, you named your imaginary friend that Sawawiwa. No, that's what she told me her name was, right? Oh, wow. Okay. okay. So, so it's funny, you don't know this story. Okay. So, fast forward, uh, you know, we lose our connection to our imaginary friends, right? Like people either make fun of you or your parents tell you to stop talking to them or whatever. And we shut down that seventh chakra to live in society, right? And be normal in society. Um, unless you have, you know, extremely open woo-woo parents who tell you like, good job, like, let's talk to your imaginary <laughs> friends today, you know, and then I wouldn't call let's talk to your spirit team today, right? Um, so fast forward to the work that I started doing in Oregon. And we'll we'll I'll come back to that when you get to those questions. But um I started you know, I worked with this very first channeler that I worked with, uh, intuitive. She was amazing. Her name was Sarah Falez, um, when I lived in, in Eugene, Oregon and, um, started connecting me to my spirit team, reconnecting me to my spirit team. And, um, my gatekeeper is Merlin. And, um, so I, most of the time talked to him when I was getting started and then who pops in 
but Sacagawea. And I, I had this very vivid, like tear felt like super juicy, you know, tingling feeling like, oh my gosh, this is the woman. And so you may not know the story of Sacagawea, but she guided, she's a Native American woman uh, guide that guided Lewis and Clark across the country to like map the Northern states of the United States, right? So she's very famous. Um, And she, she came to me and said, like, I've been with you your whole life. And I'm like, oh my God, I just couldn't pronounce your name when I was three years old. Like, of course, like that is, that for me was one of, yeah, one of the things that's like, this is, I'm not making this up, right? Like, that's crazy. Um, Cause it's not, it's not like anyone was talking to me at three or four years old about Sacagawea and her story as a Native American. Mm-hmm. Maybe you hear about Pocahontas. I mean, maybe, but yeah. Anyway. So um, very creative childhood as well. Uh, I went to art school uh, in college. So I'm always drawing. I was always coloring and, and making art and um, yeah, it's very, very creative child trying to think of anything else. Yeah. So. Anything so you've always been a you've always been a free spirit, and I feel like being an only child urged you to become more of your creative self, which I think you've always been. Yeah. It just came out at an earlier age. Yeah, and the intuitive the intuitive piece came out at an early age too. Um, I the phone would ring, and I would know who was calling, and um, I was tested for ESP at one point, but I choked during tests, and so it was like you know they're flashing me flashcards and doctor or the psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever, sent me away. Like, no, you know, Andy doesn't have any, any intuitive gifts or whatever. And, um, so I I sort of dropped that and, and, and that, uh, until later, until I was Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, I do. No one just, no one taught me how to use them. Right. If I had had better teachers as a young child, um, to, to help me use those gifts, um, you know, I probably would have been further along at an earlier age, but it's okay now in hindsight, it all happens as it's supposed to happen. Exactly. And like, if you trace it back to like where you are now and how you were when you were a child, there are these traits that keep recurring all throughout your life. Like you've always had this awakened intuition. You've always been more receptive to universal messages. You've always been very creative and eccentric and free with your lifestyle. So. I know that you um, you had a stint in Scotland. You've been to Europe. You've been to a lot of European countries. Uh-huh. What made you decide to go to Europe at such a young age? So um, I was, well, my first trip to Europe was actually with my grandmother. Um, she took me to Italy uh, when I was 14. And that opened my eyes. Um, I remember thinking, I want to live in Italy at some point. And in college, um, I did this. Semester I was, I was, um, um, and before two years of French, of Spanish. So I had a lot of languages. I was very good at languages, a lot of languages. And so, um, it was my last year, my fifth year in, of French two years, three years of high school and two years of college French. So I was pretty fluent in French um, and did a semester short term. We had January term. So it was just one month um, in Paris um, and January in Paris kind of sucks, but um, we ignored the weather and had a blast. And I was doing an independent study in watercolor at the time. So, um, so that also opened my eyes. We spent a weekend um, in uh, Amsterdam, got into a little trouble there um 
And so I never did, you know, I never was there longer than a month. Um, and so I moved after college, I moved to, and I did college in Florida. Uh, after college, I moved to Oregon to study sustainability. Um, I decided I didn't want to be an artist. And in my last semester of college, I found the topic of sustainability and did an internship living on an intentional community in Oregon. And um, that's what led me to astrology and herbalism and aromatherapy. And um, the astrologer actually is the woman that I met her at a Saturday market and she did my chart and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so then she teaches a class on intuition and connecting to your spirit team. And so she's, that's Sarah. So she, she, you know, I started taking classes with her and I had two friends that were following another friend over to Scotland and the girl, the, the female of this couple, Goldie was pretty much my best friend at the time. Um, and they were moving to Scotland they were doing it the correct way. They were getting work visas, you know, they were, mm-hmm. you know, saving their money. They were, they were preparing. You know, they were preparing. <laughs> and so they left in September of 1996. Um, and they were going to be there for six months, maybe longer. They didn't know. Their friend was going to study for a semester abroad in Scotland. Um, and it was uh, Jason, Goldie's boyfriend, Jason, it was his roommate. So I don't even remember his name. So um, he was studying. So Jason, you know, was following him and Goldie was going with Jason, right? So it was like this wave of them going to, to, to Glasgow in Scotland. Um, and so she kind of prepped all summer and I was like, I think I'm going to come with you. And she was like, oh my God, that would be amazing. You know, come. But I was like, I think I'm just going to travel. I'm just going to go over there and travel. I'm going to save my money, you know, maybe do some, some fish shows. Cause fish was a band that we followed at the time. Um, and they were doing a European tour. So that was my goal. Um, but I'm the kind of person that saves a bunch of money and spends it all in one place. So I saved a bunch of money. I was bartending, saved a ton of money, and then went on fish tour a little early and did a whole West Coast fish tour. And by the time that I, um, my departure was planned for December. Um, so they were going to, you know, get over there, establish themselves, and I was going to come over in December. Um I also saved a bunch of money, but hit the road in November and spent the majority of my, my money on this West coast fish tour. By the time that I got to DC and, you know, I had a one-way ticket to Scotland. I didn't know how long I was going to be in Europe. This was going to be my big European adventure. So spontaneous. Yeah. That I had always (laughs) wanted to do, um, left my cats in DC with my parents and got on a one-way ticket, you know, got on a plane but it was planes, trains, and automobiles. I mean, like I was, it was a standby ticket. I didn't do it right. I didn't know how to fly standby like I do now. So it was a fiasco. And by the time I got to Glasgow, I had spent all but like $150. So I landed in Scotland with, I mean, I'd saved up like three grand. So, uh, you know, I had spent it all in Vegas. We went to Vegas too, by the way. So we did like a whole West Coast tour that included Vegas very expensive hotels, right? Spent all my money. So um, yeah, so I had $150 and Goldie and Jason were like, it's no big deal. Like, you know, you can stay with us. You can, I mean, they were laughing at me, but I was kind of like, okay, Sarah, right? Like whatever, yeah, I, it didn't scare me. It didn't, you know, I was kind of like, I'll figure it out. So um, <laughs> I ate a lot of rice and ramen noodles, uh, you know, really cheap food. Um, the mm-hmm. bar fed me a little bit, uh, and I started painting the boards outside the bar. Uh, and that's what put my foot in the door of the pub that they worked at is there's blackboards outside of pubs in Scotland. And, 
you know, someone designs them. And I said, these suck. Like, do you want me to make better ones? And they both worked at two different pubs. So I said, you know, I'll design the boards at both pubs. They paid me five quid a board. Some of them, the bigger bar had maybe 10 boards. So, you know, you're talking 50 bucks. You were just visiting the pub. You were just visiting the pub and you saw the boards and you're like, these are ugly. <laughs> Let me fix them for you. Oh yeah. I was like, like you were the actual, hell? Like- I was like, who the hell is doing your boards? Like that is absolutely terrible. That's totally so random. <laughs> yeah. So random. But I was like, I can do that. I saw that. And I was like, this can be my niche, you know? So I started doing that. Um, for both of the pubs. Um, and the owner owned both of the pubs. And so the owner was like, oh my gosh, this is great. And then eventually those guys were like, we're leaving. We don't like it here. It's cold. It's rainy. It's dark. We, you can have our flat. The flat was like 10 quid a week, super cheap, like not a good neighborhood, but I didn't care. Um, and, uh, and you just left the money in the drawer and the landlord came into the condo or the apartment and got it like, random like now that I think about it I'm like oh my god if I had a daughter like if my parents knew that yeah um but yeah I I don't really have a lot of fear so so you came in there fearless and spontaneous and random most times but you were living and traveling alone I mean you had friends you knew this person but technically you were alone with very little experience on a tight budget, didn't that mess up like the, you know, how your, your thought process, your psyche eventually, did you have like moments where you were super down? You weren't like always optimistic, right? Of course. Of course. The, 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 and the brain deletes things like the brain is meant to just dump the really harsh stuff, right? That's why we don't remember a lot of our trauma. So we're talking 20 plus years ago, 30, almost years ago now, um, 25, maybe. So the one vivid, I mean, I have several memories, um, but the one vivid memory I have is I had a very thin sleeping bag, a very thin pad. You know, I was in a, I had all of my belongings were in a backpack. Um, and, um, I am a very thin blanket and very thin clothes, right? Like I had Oregon clothes in Scotland. Okay. And Oregon is temperate rainforest. It's rainy. It gets cold, but it's not like Colorado, right? Like if I'd had Colorado clothes, that would have been better, right? Mountain. Yeah. So I'm, um, it's maybe the second week that I'm there. Well, actually, even the like second day that I was there, I was sitting in the pub and this they call them punters, right? A, a local or a regular, right? This punter comes up to me and he starts yabbering at me like, yeah, where are you from? And blah, blah, blah. And right. And I'm like, <laughs> by the second sentence, I'm like, this guy's not speaking English. Right. So I'm like, what, what I ask? And he's like, you know what? And he's drunk. And he's so he's, you know, he's just a regular at a pub, right? Like who is this guy? So then he's just yammering at me. And I, it's all I can do to be, to keep from crying. And I, so my, one of my first experiences is like, oh my God, what have I done? Right. Like I was brave, but I was also like, I'm like going to sunk in. Oh yeah. I'm like, I'm going to have to figure this out. And I full on had culture shock. I had culture shock when I came home too. culture shock is legit. Like where your, your brain gets scrambled. You have no idea what you're doing. You don't know how you're going to figure it out. And if you don't have the tools, which at that point, I didn't have a lot of the, the tools I have now, you're you're like, I'm totally fucked. Like, there's no way I'm getting out of this situation, <laughs> right? Like uh, there, this yeah. is, this is scary. 
Um, and Goldie could kind of see the look on my face. She was, it was at the bar she was bartending at. She comes over. Her bar was much smaller, mm-hmm. much more like local crowd. The bigger bar, rowdy AF, like totally. I mean, McSorley's was, was a, it was a music venue. So it was big bar, big, wow. big craziness, knife fights sometimes. Um, just crazy. Like think of like coyote, ugly, crazy. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah. So the yeah. first, the I've first the bar locals bar, totally like mm, pretty chill. Um, you know, after work kind of crowd, right. Not, not crazy Glaswegian cr- cr- uh, crowd. Um, so she comes over and she's like, you know, kind of shoes the guy away and it's like are you okay and I'm like I don't know what he's saying like you know so that's one memory the other one is me freezing my a off in the apartment the the flat that we had because the only heater was in their bedroom and I was next to a brick wall and it was pouring rain and I could hear through the window like and feel those the wetness seeping in this brick wall like big rocks like not our like us bricks like brick houses you know like no this was mm-hmm. like giant rocks square oh, like in the giant square rocks <laughs> yeah in this like apartment building um and we were on the third floor so we were way high up and um and i just remember thinking and i'm sitting there i'm so cold that i have a teacup in the, in the covered, in the blanket with, in the sleeping bag with me, steaming the blanket with, that's my heater is this hot teacup. And I'm drinking the tea and I'm like, what have I, again, like this is two or three weeks into it. Like, how am I going to get out of this? You know? And I was always the kind of person that was like, I'm not calling home. I'm not, I'm so independent and so obstinate that I was like, I am not calling home for help. I have to figure this out. Because my parents would have been like, get on a plane, you're coming home, you know? But you would not admit defeat. <laughs> no. Like, no way. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I mean, I had moments like that. that when I moved to Colorado as well, where I was on food stamps and I, I, sh- I had no business being on food stamps, you know, but um, I didn't make enough money and I went, mm-hmm. uh, I went for help, government help, you know, um, and went to the, the food um food bank for food, you know, like, yeah, I, I would rather take hands outs from a stranger than I would from my parents, I think. So you're, you're super independent. And I mean, on top of that, you're also so introverted, but you have friends. And what was it like making new friends in a foreign country and then, you know, leaving the old ones behind? Um, Like, did that really affect you eventually? An interesting question because I feel like starting out, like I had mentioned with like cycling through a lot of best friends in my life, moving schools, moving all the way down to Florida for college from DC and driving there. Um, and then, you know, doing, I did two winter terms, one in New Mexico had to meet, I didn't know any of those students. They were all older than me. Um, so I had to make friends there. Oh, I went to camp every summer too. So I think you know, growing up, like where my parents would thrust me into situations where I had to make friends quickly. Um, I I didn't feel ever like alone or scared about being alone or scared even about like walking through a shady place alone, you know, um, like getting mugged in Scotland or something, you know, um, 
same, you know, going to all the way to Oregon. I went, I went to Oregon with one friend, um, but we wound up in kind of different circles pretty quickly. So um, no, I don't have trouble making friends um, and even like latching on to a friend right away. Like I found, I tend to find best friends right away. So my friend in Scotland was Debbie um, and she just took me in. I mean, Goldie and Jason were only there with me for about six weeks um and uh and then they left um and Debbie and I became close and we would go get tea and go to concerts together and um yeah she was and I I you know I tend to also fall in love very quickly so I fell in love over there Mm. and wound up living living with my boyfriend Charlie in Scotland that's definitely been an adventure of places and relationships yeah Um, and you I, I know you mentioned you've worked like odd jobs but mostly from the stories that you told me, you worked at the pub and that's kind of like where you bonded the most with the people that um, you stayed with in Europe. And um, I also remember that you were telling me, um, you you brought this up about um, the Celestine prophecy and how you introduced this to your friends there. And it, it just blew my mind because it was such a dark and random time for you. You must've felt so weird and uncomfortable and plus, the culture shock, but for you to shed light yourself to these people that I'm sure you needed it more than they did. But like, where did you find the strength to do that? Like the inspiration to even do it, you know? I think it just came, it, it just came naturally. It was just synchronous because, um, so I was reading the Celestine prophecy, um, in Oregon and Sarah, I'm pretty sure, turned me on to reading it. Um, and I brought it with me. And I was practicing the lessons within it in each insight, practicing synchronicity and practicing talking to strangers and practicing um, um, following the signs and practicing keeping my energy high and and um, letting go of my control dramas, you know? And so when I went over there and started having those conversations with these new friends, um, I mean, with Charlie and Debbie, but also um, with um, Colin was what I, so I, I, for a little time dated this guy, Colin, not really, I would say we probably more like just hooked up a few times, but um, he wasn't really my type, but he was very, he reminded me a lot of Bono from U2. So I was like, all like, you know, and they're Scottish accents. I mean, I I fell in love with every single person I met. Like there was another guy too, that I fell in love. I brought to the pub a few times and everybody was like, no, not that, (laughs) you know? Um, so (laughs) so, yeah. So for like, let's see, December, Charlie and I didn't really hook, I think start hooking up until like March or maybe April. I think I moved in with him in May, you know? So it was a long time, like five or six months of me, like, you know, playing the field over there. And, um, and so Colin, I remember, and then this other, this other musician that played at the pub a lot, hung out at the pub a lot. His name was Stevie Flynn and Stevie, uh, I introduced Stevie to fish. And I remember I had my, okay, I'm dating myself. I had my CD player. I had my Walkman CD player, you know, I had my CDs with me. So I was playing the CD of fish and I was like, you've got to listen to this song Antelope because as a musician, it's going to blow your mind. And I'm watching him, I'm drinking my little half pint of Guinness and I'm watching him you know, listen to this. Right. And I'm watching his face and he's like, like, it's like melting his face off. 
this, this <laughs> song. And um, I mean, and we're talking about someone that's like grown up on Led Zeppelin and all of the, like, you know, he's probably 10 years older than me. So he, you know, has maybe been to some of those shows, even like legends, Eric Clapton, you know, you live in the UK, you, you have access to musicians that we don't have access to. So, mm-hmm. um, um, and you know, he's not like 20 or 30 years older than me. So I don't think he was at like a Jimi Hendrix show, but you know, I mean, we're talking about musicians that played for a long period of time and still do. Right. So, um, and it, to watch his face melt off with this song, it's like totally revolutionary music fishes, like Grateful Dead kind of revolution. So anyway, so um, back to the Celestine prophecy, like I'm reading to them, like it's like a it's like a new book of spiritual awakening. You know, I mean, this was a whole mm-hmm. like second wave of the 60s, right, of us like, you know, really coming into to, to awareness as indigos. So if you're familiar with the the generations of spiritual beings that have been born here, I, I, my generation is the first generation of indigos. Mary, your generation is the crystal children. So you all have big eyes. You say things like, I know, you know, you're uh, c- connected to your intuition like that. Like you're very intuitive, you know, very wise. Um, you come in a lot. To, a lot of these children come in with no karma, Um our generation is carrying a lot of that, a lot of the groundwork mm-hmm. for intuition, a lot of the groundwork for um, uh, connecting to source and letting go of karma, you know, ancestral karma and dramas and um, yeah, spiritual awakening, connecting to crystals. Right. Um, and the indigos have been coming in since the sixties. Like those, that was kind of the first wave of indigos, but my generation is definitely all pretty much all indigo children versus you know, like sprinkles of indigos in the sixties and Mm seventies. Right. So, um, so anyway, having all of these people there, like learning with me, I felt like this pub was like an incubator for, uh, awareness, spirituality, um, and, um, and open. So you would, you would read the insights to them. Yeah. Like, insight number one day one and then second day you'd read insight number two during break yeah I mean I had the book with me so I was reading I was you know I was reading it over and over again um another cool story I'm looking at the clock going we're not moving through this very quickly but it doesn't matter um I almost feel like this might need to be split into two episodes (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it okay so maybe we'll do a lot yeah um Mm -hmm. and so uh yeah and yeah in, in any event so um there's one, there's one story I want to tell really quickly. I was at the library, one of the places I hung out at that was a free place to hang out that was warm and dry. And it wasn't the pub. Pubs aren't open at all hours of the day. Our, ours was open at 11, but you know, from eight to maybe 11, cause they'd served lunch as well. But I would hang out at this library. Plus the one of the first guy that they were all like, not this guy, his name was Gregor, yeah. not this guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he worked at the, he was a, uh, at work at the coffee shop in the bookstore. So big Barnes and Noble type bookstore. Um, and I'm walking through the metaphysical aisle and it was like really tall stacks of books. I'm walking through and a book falls off the shelf at me and it's h- higher than anybody on the other side of the bookshelves could have pushed. So I would, it falls at my feet and I look at it and I'm like, maybe I'm supposed to read this book. Right. Cause at this point, I trust synchronicity and I'm also very connected to my spirit guides. So I hear the voice, Merlin's voice go, that's your book. And I'm like, 
oh, okay. So Merlin kicks it off the shelf for me and I pick it up and I'm looking at it and it says the only planet of choice. This is the title of the book. Big globe on the cover. Black book, big glowing blue planet on the cover, right? The mm. only planet of choice, Phyllis Schwimmer. So I open it up and it's a channeling of this be- inter- intergalactic being called Tom. And in the room of all of her channels, she would go into, you know, this space and channel. And if anyone's heard of Abraham Hicks, it's like that, right? Esther mm. Hicks. Okay. It's Esther. Yes. This is Esther Hicks in a different body. And um, she's channeling Tom. And um, and that's what Sarah did as well. Sarah Falez, my, my teacher in Oregon. Same. Very similar to Esther Hicks, right? Being comes in. So anyway, so in the room, every time that Phyllis would channel was Gene Roddenberry of Star Trek and um, um, uh, George Lucas of Star Wars and several politicians in and out. Like, I mean, not every time the the room would kind of rotate of who was in the room with her. But this whole book is like the premise is written in the early 80s or late 70s is the premise of a lot of Star Trek stories, right? So this is the other book that I'm reading to these guys. And all of us together, like our minds are getting like expanded, you know, of like, is this like how that's bullshit? There's no way. Like, how is someone <laughs> like, aliens? Like, no, like. These must have been really new concepts back then. Really new concepts. Yeah. That book is out of print, but you can still get it. I still have a copy of it and I've I've shared copies with it. And most people who read it are like, I can't, I can't even stomach this. Not stomach, but like digest this. I can't, I can't even digest this. Doesn't even make sense to me. I don't understand this, you know? Um, So it's very heady, very cool, very cool book. I think that's like, sometimes I wish that information wasn't so available as it is now because it's not the same when you learn something new because I just Googled it. So it's not as revolutionary as reading it off of a book or discovering it yourself. Maybe 20 years ago, information would have been more, it, it was more of a rarity, like new concepts and you read it and it really sticks. I think that's the thing now that even though there's so much information going around, not a lot of it sticks because of the way that people discover it. It's just so easy and there's a lot of it and, you know, there's so much to take in. So sometimes I just wish that it was a little bit more, um, a little bit more difficult, but maybe that's just really my privileged self saying, Oh my gosh, you know, learning so easy now, but I mean, thank you technology, but at the same time, it's, get so distracted easily and learning is more difficult so there was no internet no cell phones yeah no you know i mean i had a cd player right so uh no mp3s right so um we had a we had something called prodigy that you could get on it was like we had a server we had we did have like the 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 dinosaur of the internet so i could email did hear about yeah, I could it's email people um, and you could, yeah, I mean, it was the, it was, it was the, the gen one, right. Of the World Wide web. Um, but you weren't really using it. You know, you were still getting your information from books, but you were, you were, as you were speaking, I was thinking of like Plato, right. Or uh, um, Socrates, right. And, or Einstein. Okay. So like any of these thought leaders at the time, 
you know, they're immersing in thoughts and creating and channeling. I mean, most of those guys channeled, right? Like they would tell you, right? Like this isn't coming from me. This is coming from source. Um, and they would get into a, a meditative or trance-like state to, to, or, or even use psychedelics, right. To, to, or herbs yeah. or whatever, right. To get into that state. So, um, you know, there have been waves and waves for centuries of, of, you know, awareness and awakening and, and, uh, shifting of thought, right. Like if you think of Darwin, um, and, you know, shifting, yeah. Just different right. thought leaders and different methods of acquiring information. But you're immersed in that for a long period of time. You're not like, you know, oh, squirrel, right? Like now we're, so there's so many different avenues that information can come from. Like, for instance, I'm taking, because of the farm that we're here, we're creating, I'm taking a course in composting toilets. I, it's all I can do to focus on this course because I have so many other things that I'm doing that I can't really quite immerse myself in understanding composting toilets the way I want to. Right. And I'm missing, you know, I miss the class and then I'm, I have to catch up and right. It's like, it's very hard to just drown out the noise and commit to reading the Celestine prophecy now compared to how it was when I was reading it. Yeah. I can imagine again, I, I think it's just so much easier to get information exhaustion nowadays Because like even the information that's so out of this world and you read it from your phone or your computer, it's like black because it lacks the impact of getting it from somewhere else that could have been more revolutionary, you know? So it's a very interesting topic that we segued to that I would like to talk about more, but I know that we have like five more bullet points supposedly that we're, you know, talk about in this um episode so i'm not sure should we cut this in half or let's just keep going no let's let's create a okay so let you know we'll we'll splice it there um and that i mean that's even long that's longer i think than a half an hour that we've been maybe 40 minutes now so let's splice it there so um we'll stop the recording and then start it again you and i'll stay on but um if you've been watching this tune into the next episode because this is definitely going to be two episodes. We still have a lot of talking points to cover. Uh, thank you for following us. Thank you for subscribing to both of our channels. Um, and uh, we really appreciate you. Uh, if you're interested in the Celestine Prophecy, please check a look, uh, take a look at the Manifesting with Synchronicity course that I teach. Mary is about to launch a couple of free journeys for us. So we'll have a little mini version of Manifesting with Synchronicity very soon that you can check out. Um, and for those of you that are listening to this on uh, Mary's channel, not so good at small talk. Um, yeah, keep following us along on there as well. So thank you, everybody. And I'm going to go ahead and stop. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mary.